The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. What does being typed out mean to you? Telling your own story. It's just really, truly being who you hey, are. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. And Labels this is my space. Categorize. So we can be identified and for that reason to be excluded. The way that we integrate people into society or do not. To literally write my name and leave my ink print in the world of stories to come. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and uh, I exist. This is the Typed Out, Typed out. Typed out. Typed out Podcast. You're listening to the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host, Nick Palafrone. Every week, Typed Out aims to deliver conversations that seek to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. Today, I am here with Nathan Mansky, founder and executive director of I'm From Driftwood, a video series that tells the stories of LGBTQ folks across the country and globe. Inspired by Harvey Milk's presence in the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade of 1978, I'm From Driftwood builds off the narrative begun by Supervisor Milk when he held up a sign reading, I'm From Woodmere, New York. Ten years later, I'm From Driftwood has told thousands of stories in the pursuit of expanding the narrative for the queer community. Please welcome Nathan Mansky. Hey, Nathan. How are Hi. you? I'm doing very well. Uh, I really appreciate you carving out some time while here in New York to, to sit down and have this conversation. And I'm so eager to talk with you about all of the work that you're doing with I'm From Driftwood. And a huge thank you to Tony Oso, who connected us. Um, and our listeners will recognize Tony's name uh, as the creator for The Devotion Project. So, Tony, if you're listening, thank you so much. But uh, as our listeners also know, this podcast is made possible by Audible.com, which is the leading provider in audiobook content. And Nathan, do you have a book that you would recommend for our listeners? Yes, definitely. I just finished reading it uh, about a month ago. It's called No Ashes in the Fire by Darnell Moore. Great. And can you give us like a brief synopsis of what No Ashes in the Fire is about? Yeah, it's it's right there on the, I think it's called the 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 subtitle or subhead or whatever on the book. It's called uh like growing up uh free and black in America. Mm. And uh I it was a, a wonderful story, very well written and just a, a nice way to kind of see inside a a world that is unfamiliar to me. Yeah. And I wanted to read that because I had read an article or a quote or something saying to tr encouraging people to read stories or articles or books from w th whose protagonists are not like you. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, if I'm, you know, if, if you're a man, read a, a, one of a protagonist as a woman. If you're white, read a protagonist of somebody who's black. And uh, I had just started reading this book called uh, titled Less. And uh, it was very popular last year. A lot of people read it. But it was about a, uh, a gay, single gay white man living in New York City who is 40. And... I was like, well, I know this story very well. <laughs> I don't need to read like that is I it would it was just uh, hilarious. And it was really good. I got a few chapters in, but then I it I read that article or quote and I was like, wait, yeah. what am I doing? I need to read something else. And uh, so I picked up uh, Darnell Moore's book and it was just incredible. And so I'm trying to, you know, stick with that of just reading stories and books of people who aren't like me. Yeah, absolutely. And they say one great way to diversify the way that you think is to diversify your bookshelf. Like take a look and see how many authors 
are pretty approximate to your own identity and then how can you mix that up so uh, if you want to listen along to no ashes in the fire by darnell moore you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out and begin your 30-day trial and listen along to that for free so nathan thank you for that recommendation and speaking of storytelling like and and the importance of capturing stories of people who are like and also more importantly unlike you um that's pretty much the main mission behind i'm from driftwood correct yeah it's kind of i mean it's two sides of the same coin one is to uh at its core is to help people realize that they're not alone so on that side it's helping read or listen to or watch stories of people who are like you that you didn't know were like you Mm. the other side of that is to learn more about people who aren't like you and connect with them in some way so you know, and that can be within the community or outside the community. For example, uh, you know, if, if you are gay or lesbian and you watch a story from somebody who's trans, uh, you're learning about your community uh, and you're learning that we have similarities, but as somebody who's different from you right. uh, in a way. But, you know, I and then I always want to backtrack that because, sure, we're different, but we're also similar. And that's what empathy is. You yeah. know? So that's what is activated through storytelling. So. You know, it's it's. I kind of contradict myself every time I talk about I'm from Driftwood because the whole purpose is to connect with people and find similarities, but it's also to educate people uh, about learning about people different from them. Yeah. But it kind of does the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the idea that like just because all the letters fall on the same acronym does not mean that we are all equally the same right it's like this is building again a larger community but by no means are we a monolith and there's a lot of like some of the things that i love that i'm from driftwood does is tackles individual issues that the queer and trans community face in itself things like racism because i know that there's one aspect of i'm from driftwood that specifically tells the stories of people of color to broaden that awareness in that way um, which I think kind of has some overlap with what Typed Out is aiming to achieve. And it's this idea or like our tagline is finding unity and difference. Like it's the things that make us different that also make us the same in the way that like knowing what it's like to be other can create empathy, you know, and knowing that like struggle is a universal thing. And if we have that empathy towards people and what they are going through, Hopefully we can fortify ourselves, not only as a community, but as a country, as a global community. So I think that's brilliant and wonderful. And which leads me to my next question is what what inspired I'm from Driftwood? What made you want to begin this? Is it organization or? Yes, yeah, a nonprofit organization. And the the spark of the idea came from a fo- that photograph of Harvey Milk that you mentioned. And the reason that that meant so much to me personally that led to this idea is because I grew up, I'm actually from Driftwood, Texas, and it's a very small town. I grew up on 40 acres of land. We were very, I didn't know it at the time, but we were low income, I would say. And, uh, but again, I didn't know or care or whatever growing up, but, um, you know, so there was a lot of, it was rural living in Texas and I didn't have any connection to the queer community. I didn't know what it really was. I you know, was coming of age in the eighties, all that connected to me to the gay community was HIV and AIDS because mm-hmm. that was what was dominating the news. And there, there weren't any examples of happy gay people on the four TV channels that we had on our TV. And so I, for me, it was, my issue was isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, once I did come out, my family were all supportive and I was very lucky in that regard. I wasn't bullied. We, 
I grew up in a small town, so everyone was kind of friendly. Um, so I didn't, you know, the issues that I had weren't the typical, uh, you know, oh, I was picked on for being gay or different. It was just me feeling like the only gay kid in the world. So once I saw that sign of Harvey Milk holding, or I'm sorry, once I saw that photo of Harvey Milk holding that sign that said, I'm from Woodmere, New York, you know, I was like, why, what does that mean? Why is he saying that? And because everyone associates Harvey Milk with San Francisco, which is the, this, the biggest gay Mecca in the world. Yeah. And, but he's not from there. And what that meant to me is that gay people aren't just in these big gay cities. They're everywhere. And I wish that I knew that uh, growing up gay in Driftwood, that maybe I was the only gay person in Driftwood because it's very small, but there are people like me out there. And that's what I didn't know. And what I know would have helped a lot uh, as a, you know, as a gay kid in Texas. So, so that was where the idea came from. And I immediately wanted to get that message out there through storytelling. And you can say a million times over, you're not alone, you're not alone. But until you connect that and back that up with an actual story, uh, it doesn't quite mean as much. So I immediately knew that I wanted to get the message out there of you're not alone through storytelling. And I didn't really know exactly where to go from there. And I was working in advertising at the time. And the very next day after thinking of the idea, I was laid off. So it was, you know, the, a lot of people have a lot of different ways to talk about that, but yeah. it really felt like the universe just grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and shoved me on this path and said, this is what you're doing. Like, get to work. Yeah. And I said, okay, great. Like, I'll do it. <laughs> and, you know, uh, yeah. So it, somebody speaking of, of another book, uh, I just realized I had told that story to a, a friend and he asked me if I had read the book called The Alchemist. Yes. And because in it, it talks about the universe conspiring to, you know, that I forget the quote or I'll butcher it. But uh, so basically like you are, you know, you once you set out to do something, the universe will work to make it happen. Yeah, it will support you. It will support you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I described it as magic. Other people have described it as, you know, some deity. Like it's there's all these different phrases of it. But once I started working on it, I and one thing that some people ask me, like, what advice would you give to someone who's starting anything and I just say tell everyone what you're doing and because I I put all that all my belief in in humanity and in each other and because I told everyone what I was doing and like magic they were like oh like all these resources started making themselves available and it's like oh I have a friend who does this and they'll help you out or oh I just heard about this thing you know like everyone kind of goes in their mind about how they can help someone and it's very human and it really captures like who we are and community. And, you know, so I just, I put, uh, I give full credit to all the people and community and humanity for making this happen because yeah. it, it was just the strangest feeling that anything that I needed, you know, air quotes magically appeared. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's still that way today. Yeah. So. I mean, Oprah, she'll say that like the, the universe will support you. Like opportunity is like finding preparation meets, um, sorry, like divine timing. It's like preparedness meets opportunity. So it's like being prepared for the opportunity is everything that supports you. And so in that moment where it's like having that idea and then all of a sudden the gate being wide open to pursue that is, it was like the divine timing of it all. The preparedness met the opportunity in that way. So 
that's remarkable and also that is the second or third time i think the alchemist has come up on this podcast so for everyone listening that means <laughs> talking about divine inspiration we should go out and read a copy of paulo coelho's the alchemist um but nathan what has i mean you've been doing this now for 10 years correct yeah we just had our 10 year anniversary um last month so congratulations thank you yeah how does it feel to now be a decade in it feels there's a lot of feels <laughs> uh, it you know sometimes it feels like i just started and other times i look back to where i was and what we were doing and how we were doing things and i'm like oh my god i didn't know anything and so it is it feels great to be able to look back uh just to see how far we've come yeah. and what we've done and uh, just the fact that I'm saying we instead of I, because when I first started, I was, it really felt like just me, even though, like I said earlier, it was everyone helping out. And now we've grown, you know, I have a, a colleague, you know, so we're, we have two staff members. We have a contractor that helps us out a lot. We are expanding across the country into Texas and, um, and Pennsylvania. And so it's, yeah, it feels really, really great. And mostly I just look back and, and look at all the stories that we've collected and something we've tweaked some things on how we get stories and what a story is, but, uh, it's been at the heart and soul of what I'm from Driftwood is, has remained the same. And I'm so glad. And, uh, yeah, it, it feels really great and also exhausting (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because it's, it, it, but I, I hate saying like, Oh, it's, it's so much work, but it's, I don't mean it in that way. I mean that there's so much more that I want to do and it, there's just not an, I just want to do so much and, you know, a lot of people want to be involved and there's, it's exhausting in a good way because there's, yeah. there's so much potential uh, with what we're doing. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Ex- exhausting. And because it's exciting. Right. Right. And also like work is still work at the end of the day, even if you're doing great, great work, which you are, you know, there is still a level of exhaustion that goes with it, especially because you're dealing with kind of capturing stories that probably do revolve around depression in some level, right? So even just hearing about the ways in which people are oppressed still, and, and like there, I imagine it's both sides of the spectrum, the uplifting and like the sort of depressing that go along with it. And it's just like, how can we create change? All of these things. So I feel like there probably is a bit of that mental exhaustion that comes from hearing somebody's story as well. Yeah, no, that makes me think of a funny story. Just yesterday at a, an event I was at, I was telling someone, you know, they asked like, wow, like 10 years, congratulations. And uh, we started talking about like how many stories I've listened to and what that's like. And it made me realize this funny story of because I've been doing it for so long and we've been fine tuning how to get stories and make sure that every single story we share follows a story arc. So there's a beginning, middle and end. There's a conflict and a resolution mm. and there's a moment for reflection at the end for the storyteller. So we're really getting this this structure in place and kind of down, you know, so every single story we share uh, is in an actual story. So it's not just talking to camera. There's there's, there's an arc and they go on a hero's journey of change. So we put a lot of stock into that because that's what activates empathy. And there's this whole science behind it, which I'll, I'll talk about later. But, yeah. uh, so there, sometimes I will find myself after doing this for so long that as somebody's telling me their story, what I'm doing in my head is, um, I think about the elements of that story and I'm like, okay, good. They're talking about the rising action right now. And I get very robotic with it. 
And sometimes I will forget that they're pouring out their soul to me right now and this meaningful and emotional story. And I'm, you know, being very robotic about it in my head. And I'm like, oh, wait, I need to remember to, uh, you know, be empathetic. <laughs> like, that's the whole point. Yeah. And here I am acting like a robot, you know, thinking, okay, there, there's a gap there that I need to ask a question later to make sure that they tell the story. Uh, when really I should be, you know, like, oh my God, you know, reacting a little more. So yeah. I have to remind myself to, to, <laughs> to be a little more human, uh, which it kind of flipped. You know, when I first started doing this, I was all emo or 90% emotion, you know, 10% like, sure, that was a story. I wasn't, I hadn't learned yet what a story was mm. really. Um, and then over time I started doing more research and learning and studying and, um, you know, now it kind of flipped and, there was this funny, I forget when it was, but Donald Trump had a press conference and there's a photo that where he had like a note card that was seen for his notes and all it said was, uh, be empathetic. Like they had to remind <laughs> him to be, to emote empathy. And when I saw that, I laughed and it was, I think the only time in my life that I have connected or related to Donald Trump because I, I tell myself, I'm like, oh my God, like, don't just be a robot here trying to compile a story yeah like this is a person in front of me i need to be there for them as they're opening up to me right and you know there's this balance that you know but i also think that's that's my job is to make sure that they're telling a story yeah. so that, that the viewers will end up you know connecting with them also so yeah you know but that, that's been a that's a funny way that i can look back on 10 years if people ask what have you learned i'm like well i've learned what a story is and how to get a story out of someone uh, but also the importance of making sure that I can, you know, that they trust me, that I'm there for them and I'm there to, you know, listen to and, and care about their story as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, it's both things, right? Because you want to capture the story in the best way possible. So it's like half occupying that present human in conversation aspect and the other being the sort of business minded storyteller, making sure that things you're packaging it in the way that really tells their story the strongest. You know, so I totally sympathize with that. But that brings me to my my question, which is, what do you feel is the continued relevance of telling LGBTQ stories? Like why? I think there's like a a library of thousands of videos and I'm from Driftwood, correct? So we have about 600 video stories and about 700 written stories. So okay. and we're continuing to publish uh, every week. So you know, it's growing about 50 to a year, obviously. We're at a good place for perspective right now after 10 years because I can look back and because we're still learning, like society is still growing and it always will. Yeah. And, you know, the, the trans community had a big moment like five years ago when, you know, with Laverne Cox and then Caitlyn Jenner and, you know, people, it had this big movement and we, we had been collecting stories during this. So, uh, we've been collecting more stories from trans people and now like gender nonconforming and non-binary and, um, you know, so we're, there's more stories that, cause I'm still learning, like everyone is still learning about, you know, the diversity of our community. So the more that we learn and as society changes, the stories also change. Yeah. So, you know, you look back, I, I always like to wonder if I from Driftwood existed 50 years ago what this like how valuable this would, would have been yeah. if we have stories from people you know who had been arrested for dancing with somebody of the same gender or stories from stonewall obviously or from you know all these different bars where you couldn't even you know 
look at it, like face the dance floor, like at Julius's bar in the West Village, there was, you know, a, a sit-in and a, a protest there. And, uh, you know, what if, like the stories, they keep changing because the community keeps changing yeah. and uh, in a good way and yeah. growing and learning. So, um have you seen like for the more local impact so like taking it outside of the major cities um like you could argue like la san francisco new york atlanta um philly all have pretty high gay population so you would pretty much expect that there would be a high level of tolerance in these areas or acceptance as it were but when you go more middle America to where you're bringing the work and having people tell their story of where they're from, have you seen a local community impact when those stories get shared in more rural areas or suburban areas, as it were? Yes. And back in 2010, we did a 50 state story tour. So we wanted to get stories from outside the major metropolitan areas. So we it was me and uh, my friend Marquise and my brother Nick. We drove to all 50 states or 48 states, flew to Alaska and Hawaii. And uh, it took four months and it was called the 50 State Story Tour. And it was this huge undertaking and just an incredible once in a lifetime experience to get to travel uh, to all 50 states and collect these LGBTQ stories. So one thing, you know, is a lot to process. And at the end, people would ask me like, what did you learn after this? And I was like, I don't know yet. I need time to like, my brain is still like catching up. and. Yeah. You know, we're still dealing with a lot of things from the road. But um, one thing that I realized, like the big takeaway was uh, because along the way, we would do story sharing events at college campuses or PFLAG, you know, parents and friends of lesbians and gays Mm -hmm. and uh, different LGBT groups and where we would share stories. And whenever we would do those, I would always ask a question. There'd be like a QA. and a And I would always ask a question, what is it like to be queer here Mm -hmm. like wherever we were and we were in los angeles and there they had this beautiful amazing lgbt center and it was all these youth it was like an 18 to 25 year old uh, group and i almost didn't ask because the center was in west hollywood the outside had these rainbow lights on it it was just this hub of support and uh a lot of resources obviously behind it and I almost didn't ask but I'm so glad that I did because I so I asked I said what is it like to be LGBTQ here in uh, West Hollywood yeah and all their hands shot up and this one young woman answered and she said just because we're in West Hollywood or Los Angeles doesn't mean it's easy and because I don't live in West Hollywood I live with my parents on my street in my neighborhood and they don't know that I'm a lesbian. They said that they would kick me out if I was. And uh, I lied and said that I'm tutoring someone. And that's why I'm here. Oh, my God. And so it, I was so glad that I asked. And all the heads, it was like bobbleheads. They were all nodding. And they were all going to say the same thing because all their hands went down. And that's what they wanted to talk about. So they were challenging this perception that, you know, oh, everything is fine here. And the opposite was true or opposite slash same thing was true in rural towns. I, and this is not, it didn't happen everywhere, but it was enough to notice a trend. Uh, in the small towns, they would say, just because we're in this tiny little town doesn't mean that we're like these backwoods rednecks where everything is terrible. Yeah. My parents are supportive and my community knows and no one cares. So urban areas and rural areas, they both agreed on wanting to fight this perception of them where they think that everyone knows what they're going through. And it really showed the value of 
listening and the individual story being known and heard and uh and also like to be fair there were places in small towns where they were kicked out and they had to live in a car and uh, we had those stories and you know examples in big cities where they were fine and their parents were heads of the PFLAG chapters you know so there there were those examples but generally uh, that's what people were really wanting to get out about their town or city and it really just showed me that, that it kind of reinforced the idea of how important sharing these individual stories are yeah I think you've just encapsulated the whole importance of telling of storytelling is that just when you think you know, you don't know. And that's why you continue to tell stories because we paint these perceptions of like, oh, well, it just must be so easy living where you are and not really taking into account any one person's individual experience. Like even though you might be living in a very welcoming uh, town or city, as it were, that might not be the case for your household you know, or your family or your religion or whatever it may be. So every one person's story is going to be different. And the more stories we do tell, the more we um, get the word out there, there will be somebody that connects with it. And hopefully the person who does connect with it is the one that has the power to change the life of an LGBTQ person and becoming more tolerant and accepting. But of all the stories that you've told, Nathan, is there one or two that have really resonated with you in an unexpected way? Like, I remember you were saying that you were like more uh, functioning on the emotional side when you first started, like in the early years of doing I'm from Driftwood, did you ever find yourself um, on the receiving end of the storytelling where it's just like, I don't, you're, you're earning that trust, right? Somebody, as you said, is pouring out their soul and their heart to you. Um, What was that like to be in that position? Yeah, there's a story and, and they change all the time. So, you know, I, I, it's really difficult to answer like, what's my favorite or most impactful, but yeah. there was one, there's a trend of the stories that connect with me the most are the ones where people are most honest about something that maybe they're not proud of, but they decided to share that anyway, yeah. because it's part of their broader story. And we, it was on the story tour, actually, we were in Alamo Gordo, New Mexico. And is it, as it sounds, a tiny you know, old military base and a small town thrift stores every or everywhere. Like I wanted, I want there to be a reality TV show in Alamo Gordo because there's like, <laughs> like rivalries between all the thrift stores and it's like, it's hilarious. So, uh, we were filming the story in one of the thrift stores that was owned by a gay couple and it was a mom and a daughter sharing their stories together. Uh, and the mom just opened up and said when she found out that her daughter was a lesbian, she threw dishes at her and said, get out. You're going to, you know, die of AIDS. You're going to go to hell, all these things. And as she's telling it, you know, she started crying and because how difficult it is for her to go back in that time where she, that's how she felt. Yeah. And of course she's sitting here with her daughter and this P flag, you know, thrift store. So you, you obviously know that she is okay with it now, but uh, the fact that she shared that moment with us and, uh, the way that she figured it out or, or found a way to overcome the way she used to feel was by, you know, she's very religious and she spoke with somebody at our church and who's gay and they're friends. And he said, look, God made her this way. This is, you know, you, if you are a believer in God, then believe in God that he doesn't make mistakes. And this is how he made your daughter. And 
you know, and that worked for her and it wasn't like a, a light switch, but it put her on the path of learning more and, and, you know, talking to more people and now she's fully supportive and, you know, so it was that journey. But the fact that she felt that she could share, like she, she's obviously is not proud of that, right. that moment, but she can look back on it and say, that's how I used to be. I went through this journey and this is how I am today. I know it wasn't easy for her to, to do that, but she did. So anyone who, you know, is brave enough to share something that, that they're not proud of, but is a part of their past and they're comfortable sharing that. Yeah. Uh, those I think are the most, leave the most impact on viewers and listeners. And, and it certainly does for me as well. Yeah. I mean, she was willing to not bypass her own evolution and just be like, I've always been this way. I've always been supportive. And it's a very human thing to admit your own flaws and imperfections and uh, growth moments, you know, like I think the authenticity of sharing that absolutely resonates the most because it's more often than not the things that we wrestle with inside that we don't want to confide into somebody else because we think that there will be negative repercussion for doing that when we do have someone share those very vulnerable moments it validates that inside of us and gives us that strength and courage to overcome them ourselves so yes i i think i've seen that video it's um she was talking about how her like she's crying throughout the entire thing right yeah. yeah and sitting there with her daughter and she's like how could she be anything or be only who you are you know yeah that's a beautiful video beautiful video as are all the i'm from driftwood videos um and some you have some more prominent guests as well i think um if off the top of my head uh dustin lance black who was the screenwriter for milk um the biopic around harvey milk uh alan cumming actor uh laverne cox also actor and anise parker the former mayor of houston um what is it like grabbing stories from uh more well-known folks it's great and it is great because it's the same as getting a story from anyone else and uh, we immediately let whether they're famous because they're actors or actresses or you know they're politicians or whatever but we tell them it's like we we don't want a story about what you're known as we want a story that's meaningful to you that involves you being lgbtq yeah. and uh you know we put them through the same process that we put everyone else through we have a phone call with them or email with them if they don't have the time uh help them think of what story to share and make sure it's a story you know so it's they're so trained usually to do interviews but this is our stories aren't interviews so it takes some you know, going back and, hey, can you talk about this a little more or in a different way? Uh, we'll ask questions and uh, they're all, you know, everyone's been very gracious and and spending the time to do it. But yeah, it's this it's the same as with anyone else. And there's a funny story with uh, Mayor Parker. We were on the story tour also when we got her story. We were going through Houston, which was our last city. And beforehand, we reached out to her chief of staff and uh they agreed to do the story and she said, are you sure you don't want it to be about running for office or, you yeah. know, being a politician? I said, no, in fact, it's probably best if it's not because if once you mention running for office or, you know, political work, it'll come across as a campaign ad right. or a promotion and people just kind of like turn off, you know, it's like, Oh, this is just a PR video. Right. Uh, so she said, okay, great. So we arrived that day at the at city hall went through security and we're waiting for uh, the chief of staff and she came out and said 
you know, welcome. And, you know, we're looking forward to this one. I just want to make sure right? it can be any story, right? It doesn't have to be about politics. And yeah. I laughed and I said, yeah, yeah, for sure. And in fact, we encourage it, you know, so uh, we met Mayor Parker and uh, we were setting up the lights and camera and just chatting. And she said, I, you know, just want to make sure it can be any story. It doesn't have to be about politics. And I, I said, yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like that's for sure. And then she shared this beautiful story about this young love, like the first time she fell in love. And then this experience at Rice University where somebody tried to have them kicked out mm-hmm. um, for uh, for having a relationship. The Mayor Parker and her girlfriend at the time. And so that's, to me, the reason she kept asking is because uh, it was such a personal story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like famous people aren't used to doing that. They're used to just you know, being interviewed for whatever is happening at the time. Uh, so it was, I was so grateful that she shared a personal story and that's been the experience, you know, with, with everyone that we've gotten stories from Laverne Cox shared a story about uh, her, her mom and being bullied and, you know, on the bus and, you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, people seem to get it and they also seem to want to share something more personal and meaningful. Yeah. And it's honing in again in that, into that human aspect of the person because when they are high profile it's so easy to kind of only see the persona that we associate with people and not really see their humanity um because they kind of exist in a way that is a bit removed from us constantly their lives revolve around press right and we know them for the work that they do and whatnot but it's great to see someone like laverne cox and alan cumming um and dustin all of them dustin lance black and anise parker have integrated histories with supporting the community itself so their work goes well beyond just that sort of mantle of what they do but who they are yeah there's also on the on that note about getting stories of people who are more famous uh it's interesting to note that the top 10 or even 20 video like most viewed stories that we have are not celebrities in any way Mm. they're people who just have stories that people connect with more and uh, it, I think that really shows that that's what people want. They want, they just want stories of people that they can relate to or learn from. And, you know, and we're even mindful, uh, cause a lot of people are like, oh, you should get, you know, Anderson Cooper to share a story or Ellen. And it's like, okay, like, but I don't, <laughs> yeah. maybe they, yeah, sure. That'd be great. But, right. um, you know, we have a, our core belief is that everyone has an important story to share and, you know, we if if you're famous then you're you are already your story's already out there for one yeah and you know but we, we just don't think that we see selfish reasons to want famous people to share a story with yeah. us but that's and it, it would be great it would bring more exposure to i from driftwood and then as a result of that more people would see these stories and you know be helped that way so that's that's great from a our own pr perspective but we don't you know we don't want to put the cart before the horse. We don't want to say, you know, let's get their story because they're famous. We just, we can, I can grab anyone off the street and get a story out of them. Yeah. And one of my favorite things is when people just last night, I was at this networking event and they're like, Oh, I don't have a story. And usually if someone tells me that they're going to end up sharing a story because then it becomes a challenge. And it's like, (laughs) I'll show you that you have a story. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're reading comments on YouTube about how much the story means to these people that they've never met. It's like, oh my God, I, I guess I did have a story. And also a lot of people say, oh, my story is boring. I came out and everything was fine. And what I tell them is, first of all, we don't 
necessarily want coming out stories. Yeah. Uh, we want stories just about the whole queer experience and the whole spectrum of what it's like to be LGBTQ. But, you know, but also if them saying that, that I came out and everything was fine and my life is, you know, unexciting in terms of being gay, that statement means a whole lot to some people that because some people don't even think that exists or that happens and to the people that i've met who've been kicked out and have to live in a car bounce around couches from friends for them to hear that people uh have family that love and support them that is that's very important oh yeah it might be boring to them themselves but that's a message that uh other parents need to hear it's like oh you know what? There are other parents who love and support their queer kids and maybe I should be one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Not every, not every story has to be packed with drama and tears. Like it can actually be something that is supportive and uplifting in the way that it's like, yeah, people can come out and live a very healthy life and supportive life, you know, and not have to worry about being disowned or, you know, all the, the myriad of things that can come with yeah um, yeah we there's a lot of love stories on i'm from driftwood you know so all of our stories they don't you know it's not about we're not a nonprofit to highlight the challenges that queer people face that there are some of those but you know we're an organization that collects the the truth and reality of the queer experience yeah i would love to come back to something that you prefaced earlier which was the science aspect in all of this um if you wouldn't mind explaining a bit behind that yeah, so I kind of worked backwards on this. We launched and I knew I wanted stories and storytelling, but I, I didn't really have justification for it. And I just knew that it would have helped me, but I couldn't articulate why. So I had an intern one summer and I asked her, I said, hey, can you just research storytelling and bring me back something that I can talk about or talk to? And she did an amazing job and introduced me to this whole world of like the science of storytelling and you know essentially what it is is if you tell somebody a story you're activating something in their brain called mirror neurons Hmm. and mirror neurons are what uh activates empathy so you know if you ever had that feeling of oh i get you i feel you it's because they told a story and you connected with it and on a microscopic level you experienced what they experienced Hmm. and that's what empathy is so uh, that's why we focus so heavily on a story arc. So whenever I say that I'm a robot, it's, <laughs> there's a reason for that. Uh, in in my work, uh, on a personal level, if I feel like a robot, then that's a whole other issue. But right. uh, yeah, at least when we're getting stories, uh, that's why I'm, I focus so heavily on, you know, okay, establish a setting. Where are you? Who's there? What's the dialogue? You know, and another way I describe a story is the way it was something happens and the way it becomes. Mm. So there's a change in the story. So the person at the end of the story is unrecognizable to the person at the beginning or recognizable, but they're different. They've, they've gone through some change or experience that, uh, that, that changed them. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the science behind why we focus so heavily on that. So that's cool. And also what kind of sets us apart, you know, is, is we don't, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to do an interview and I correct them and, and say, well, it's not a back and forth interview. It's that's a different format. And the one of the biggest struggles that we have is uh, getting people in storytelling mode. And once we send them our storyteller guide that helps them, you know, understand what a story is. And, and that sounds so condescending, like, let me teach you what a story is, you know, like I'm a kindergarten teacher yeah. or something. But 
but I, I do it because it's stories are so thrown. The word story is thrown around so much. Like, is it a news story? Is it, you know, is there narration? Is it, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of stories. So, uh, what our storyteller guy does is help people get in this, like an eye from driftwood storytelling mode and help them understand that it's not going to be an interview or, you know, so there's a little bit of a process involved, but the reason that we do that is to make sure that we, you know, activate those mirror neurons to the best of our ability. So. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's creating more empathy, getting people out there to connect with what it is that they're experiencing or listening along to. Um, but Nathan, we're close to wrapping up, but I have one more question to ask you. And that is with 10 years under your belt, what now can we expect from I'm from Driftwood? Just even brain seeds, like things that are perhaps dreams of where, where the organization could go. Yeah, we, we are just starting it. And in the way I, I, I just described like what a story is and the way that I'm looking at it now, uh, at this moment of this anniversary and milestone, and, you know, you kind of get in this headspace of like looking back and looking forward. Uh, I kind of look at this as a story itself and the first 10 years is the way it was. And now, you know, is this year we're going through some transition periods and, you know, so this is like what happened, you know, something happened. And then, uh, the next 10 years is the way it is going to become. So I want, I'm from driftwood to really go through a big change and mm-hmm. grow in a way and get more people involved. And I want to do, uh, I want to ultimately become, and this sounds, this might sound dreadful, but a global multimedia storytelling organization global, because I want stories in different cultures, different languages, different countries, different, like all over the world yeah. and uh, multimedia, because I want to do it and collect stories in different ways than just video stories and written stories. Mm-hmm. So I want to do podcasts and I want to do live, live storytelling. And I want uh, to do graphic novels and any way that people consume media, I want to make sure that there are first person queer stories available to them. I love it. I'm here for it. And I can't wait to see that unfold over the next 10 years. Um, and one final question, which I forgot to ask you at the top of the interview is what does being typed out mean to you? Um, to me, it feels like it, it makes me think of people on the outside or, you know, it's the, the phrase is thrown around so much, but like marginalized groups, but mm-hmm. also it means like kind of planting your feet and say, no, I'm here. And like, you know, that to me, that's like the, the, the typed part of it. It's mm-hmm. like, like making yourself known mm-hmm. and that can come in big or little ways. Like if you just, you know, the most obvious answers or explanation is like coming out, like, Hey, this is me. This is who I am and this is my space yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and, and, uh, I exist and, you know, it, it, there's kind of this, this peaceful feeling to it of the awareness and the, the proclamation that somebody exists and that, I don't know, just hearing that I'm like, ugh, that sounds a little cheesy, but yeah, it's really powerful though. Like, and that's, that's even though you might be considered a marginalized, a, a member of a marginalized group, just the fact of stating the fact that you exist, yeah. like that's, that to me is what typed out means. It's like, I'm, I'm here. It's, <laughs> and then you can even be literal with it. Like it's on paper now, Yeah, right here. I, I typed it out. I'm here. I exist. It's official. Yeah. Deal with it. Here's my decree of existence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it's that idea of, truly wanting to shirk 
this label of marginalized to be like, no, I'm here. I exist. I'm valid in who I am. And like, I'm asking for respect, you know, and, and some forms commanding it. Um, but Nathan, thank you so much for making the time to meet with me today and the work that you're doing with I'm from Driftwood listeners, please check out, um, Nathan's project and where can we find the content from I'm from Driftwood? Yeah, all of our stories are freely available online. Uh, we have there everything is on our website, I'mfromdriftwood.org, mm-hmm. or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just on everything, just search for I'm from Driftwood, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, and also I'm in between. I live now in Austin, mm-hmm. so if you're in Austin or Texas, uh, if you want to share a story or especially get involved and help out, we're doing a ton of things. So just reach out, and you can find me very easily anywhere also the contact form on the website find me on facebook instagram i'm out there and available and uh, i'm also in new york a lot and also philadelphia so um yeah just get involved yeah and also i believe there's a i'm from driftwood book correct there is yeah and you can uh, it's available on all different formats so whatever you know you use to read an ebook is available yes and speaking of books again if you would like to listen to no ashes in the fire by darnell moore as recommended by nathan mansky you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash typed out and begin your 30-day trial and listen along for free nathan once again thank you so much um and for everyone listening along In celebration of Typed Out's one-year anniversary, we are holding our own anniversary party. It's going to be an open mic night at DSK Beer Garden in Brooklyn. That's going to be Thursday, May 16th from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Please come and join us. We'll be mingling, listening to some great talent, and just celebrating one year of Typed Out. So um we're we we're hoping to aspire to to 10 years just like i'm from driftwood but congratulations thank you right now uh we're at that one year mark so please come join us and looking forward to having you again i have been your host nick polifrone as always we do encourage you to rate and review and subscribe any typed out content that you enjoy otherwise we will see you two weeks from now on tuesday thanks everyone